when the, you know, the, the council of people got together that decided we were gonna, that they were going to uh, discover which books of the Bible were to be included in all of that. Uh, they, they went to 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then Revelation, but really, you know, Revelation could also be called 5th John because it's the fifth writing of John. It's the book of John, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, and then Revelation, which was also a writing from John. And John's a very unique disciple. And John's a very unique disciple because he was the only disciple that when Jesus was arrested, that he had not abandoned Jesus. He stayed right at the feet of Jesus, no matter the cost, right alongside of Mary, the mother, and Mary Magdalene, right along, all along the way to the point of death, even willing to risk his own life. And in all of this process of the, the revelation that John would experience here, that God told him that he was to write this down, it's important that we realize that when John was told to write this down, it was wrote to churches across the region that God loved. And I hope today that you'll leave here understanding that. And I'm going to show you here something in a minute. But that Jesus wrote these words and sometimes very harsh words and hard words to hear. How many of us know discipline is hard, right? But it comes from a loving parent. And discipline is hard when you hear it at first, but when you look back on it, you realize, oh my goodness, I needed that. That was so, that was so necessary. No parent enjoys disciplining their children, but they realize that it's necessary in order to protect them and keep them from going down a dangerous path or getting in harm's way. And this is in the same way Jesus writing words that were hard uh, to almost all of the churches and words that were very difficult to digest, but words that were extremely necessary. And you think about it this way. If God really loves me, like God says he does, God is love and he really cares about me, he really is concerned about me, then don't you think that God would do everything in his possible power, in really infinite power to help us from going down a path that we shouldn't go down? Doesn't that make sense about a God who is loving that he would do everything with the power that he has, which is infinite, to keep us from going down. And one of the ways that he did that was speaking through, although he had ascended into heaven and he was still waiting to come back, he spoke through the apostles and he spoke through the apostle John and gave him some words directly from the mouth of Jesus. Go tell the believers these words here. They need to hear these words. And the irony of it all is that we are all humans and we are the same humans we have the same human nature that the early believers did we have it today and so the words of discipline that they needed are oftentimes the very same words of discipline we need today we're not better than the early believers we're uh, although technology has brought us a long ways that uh, fortunately has not changed our human nature we're still human and we still need the word of God. We still need correction and discipline and help. And I remember all the years of sermons that I've listened to. For me personally, I love when there is a sermon for, or a word that comes from the Lord that just comes and man, it just cuts. Oh, it hurts a little bit. But I just think about it like a love letter from the Lord. But Lord, you saw me. You saw that error. I didn't see it. And you knew that needed to be fixed. And thank God for that. Thank God for those points of correction and development. And God does that because he loves us. 
because he cares about us and because he has a purpose and plan for us that is oftentimes bigger than we realize. And so today we're going to look at a message that was sent to the believers at Laodicea. And this is really one of the harder words that were one of the harder messages that were sent. But really, it's uh, although it's one of the harder messages that was sent, it is some of the most important corrections that were needed for that church. And really, not just for Laodicea, but for really all believers even till today. And oftentimes people have equated the church in Laodicea, Laodicea to be very similar to the state of the church in the United States. And as you will discover today, as we read, it is very similar in many ways. But as I began to read about Laodicea and read the words of the correction, and you know, there's always this kind of uh, thing when you're reading a word of correction to somebody else. You're reading a word of discipline to somebody else and say, well, thank God I'm not like that. That's not for me. That was for them. And boy, it's just a few moments when you get into it, you realize, nope, I needed that just as much as they did. And that's the wonderful thing about God's grace is he equips us all. And so this morning we're going to read Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. Those words are important there, and uh, we don't have time to really explore all of that, but it's important to realize that it's coming from the mouth of Jesus. He is the one that is called faithful and true, and he is the origin of God's creation. And he says, I know your works. Jesus speaking, I know your works. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. And you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Boy, that's just the opposite of what they thought they were. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Notice his heart is that they might see. I reprove and discipline those whom I Love. That's not the first time those words were echoed. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. And if you hear my voice, open the door and I will come into and come into you and eat with you and you with me. And to the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You'll notice there that in verse 19 is really how we should measure all that is being said here. Because we often read these words as very, although it is a rebuke, and although it is a word of correction, it's not a word of condemnation. It's a word of correction. 
and there's a difference. And this word is a word of rebuke that leads to love, that is built through love. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. If Jesus did not have loved them, he would have never given them these words to read. And we have to remember that when we read these words, because although they may feel like very hard words to read and strong words, it's all done through love and by love and for love. And this is the really the measure of everything that Jesus is saying saying here, all is built on the premise of love. I want you to remind, remember this today, is that all of these letters that are written to the churches, and especially this letter here, the church in Laodicea, is that the church is the bride of Christ. And the, Jesus is not going to condemn his bride. What Jesus is trying to do is prepare his bride and to get us ready for the day where he will soon come again and all of us will be caught up with the Lord forevermore. That is what Jesus is working towards, not towards tearing down a church. That's not. No, we are the bride of Christ. We are dearly beloved by God as the church and as individuals. And so these words are given on love. And so this morning, I've titled this today, Who's at the Door? Who's at the Door? And there's three things here that Jesus comes and he offers them a word of correction, a word of discipline to keep them. And here they are, they're hearing these words, they're coming down, and although we don't know what it was like, uh, that would have been an interesting scene to actually be there when the words were being given orally, most likely, to the church in Laodicea. There probably would have been looks of gasping and oh my goodness did he really say that about us and you're going to see here in a few moments that there were some words in here that in this culture would have been considered an insult and so they are strong words and so as it's being delivered but it's being delivered by love and the first thing he calls them out for and he offers them a word of correction on and this is really something that all believers here have to be careful about is he, called, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Pastor Simbola of Brooklyn Tabernacle, he says that in the Christian life, there's only two directions, forward and backward. There is no standstill. And that's so true about the body and the life of the believer, that there is either going nearer to the Lord or wandering away from the Lord. And this is really what Jesus is talking to them about, that they have got to a place where they are not going forward anymore. They've gone to a place where they've stopped. So in, realistic, in reality, they're drawing away from the Lord. But he calls them lukewarm. And lukewarm is like that bottle of water that's been sitting out and it's not really nice to drink. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's not good for tea. It's not ice cold for a summer day. And it's just that temperature that no one really likes to drink. And so he uses that analogy that he wants to spit it out of his mouth. But you'll notice here that he calls them lukewarm, not, not so much on a faith basis. He says, I know your works. And so their lukewarmness was measured not so much by their faith, it was measured by their works. He says, I know your works, which is, this is, there is a semicolon here. It's not a period. It's a sentence that is intended to be together. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. They're lukewarm. 
and in their, in their works and how they were serving the Lord and living for the Lord. And with the next point we're going to talk about, you'll see this to be especially true, was that their, their works equated to a lukewarmness. And this goes to show us once again, as we talked a few weeks ago, no one can earn their way into heaven. That's not the way, that's not the way we're called to be as believers. But nonetheless, as believers, because we have faith, we are therefore called to go and do the work of the Lord on the earth. And James says it this way in James chapter 2, in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Their lukewarmness was measured by their works. They had got to a place where they, as you're going to see in a few moments, they were self-sufficient. They, fought, they felt as if they had it, everything they needed. And then that led to a mindset, well, we don't have to do the work of the Lord. We don't have to help anybody. We don't have to love anybody. But John later goes on to say that if the love of God is really in you and you don't see and you see your brother or sister in need and you don't help them, then what does that say about the love of God on the inside of you? And this is just a word of caution for all of us here today is that we are called to serve the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. And there is an and love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus says those are the two greatest commandments. And this was the word of caution that Jesus, although he had ascended, gives a word to the Apostle John and says they need to know this. They need to know this for this very reason, that one day they're going to stand before me and they're going to have to give an account for everything they ever did. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talks about when he sent the disciples out to go do the work of the Lord. He tells them at the very end of that discourse, he tells them, and even the one who gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones. Truly, I tell you, that one will not lose out on their reward. So therefore, we understand that Jesus promises rewards for loving our neighbors, caring for our neighbors, serving those around them. It was the mindset of storing up treasures in heaven. I can't see them, but I'm investing in my eternity. And it makes sense that Jesus would offer a word of correction about their lukewarmness because they were so invested in the earth. They had become materialistic, as you're going to see in just a few moments. They had all become self-sufficient. And so they had lost sight of what it meant to be with the Lord forever and all of eternity. And to know that God has prepared a place for us and we're going to go and be with him. And so he was calling them that if you really want to experience the joy of that, don't be lukewarm in your works. Don't be the person who just says, I'm not going to help anybody, love anybody. No, that's not the way we as believers did. We have been called to shed abroad the love of Christ on the earth, to be a light set on a hill and shine brightly. And the light provides hope. It provides comfort. It provides safety. And that's what you and I have been called to do. 
And unfortunately, there is a mindset, oftentimes in the North American church, that is this mindset of, I can come and do church, but I don't have to be church. I can do the routine of church. I can do the work of church. I can show up on Sunday, but I don't have to be a Christian the rest of the days of the week. But that's not the, the Christian that Jesus talks about. Jesus says the Christian that he's talking about is the one who is going to love and demonstrate their faith through their works because faith without works is dead. And this is what Jesus was trying to lead, their, to lead them away from. Don't get caught up on your, uh, just on being without doing the work of the Lord as well. We're called to do the work of Jesus. And so the next thing he tells them here today is that he says in all of this, they had become, uh, he says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered. And here are some of the most dangerous words that could ever come out of anybody's mouth. I need nothing. Because you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus, the second thing he tells them is that they have become materialistic. And so much so, they have got caught up so much so in riches and in self-sufficiency that they realized they didn't need anything. So much to the point that Jesus says, you've become blind. You can't even see other people anymore. You can't even see your own error anymore. You're so built up on yourself. And it's been said in history that there was an earthquake in Laodicea. And the earthquake did significant damage in Laodicea, but because they were such a materialistic, self-sufficient people, Rome tried to send help to support the city of Laodicea. And they said, no, we don't want your help. No, thank you. We got this on our own. And you can imagine the pride of their own selves that they would tell all of Rome to say, no, just keep all of your, your stuff over there. We've got this. We're rich. We can do it on our own. There is a sense of pride that is associated with that. And that's what you'll discover about materialism is that materialism can lead to pride. That when we get so caught up in living for the world and living for riches and living for acquiring wealth and trying to gain more money and more of this and having the latest thing and the latest that, all of that will eventually lead to pride because there is a sense of feeding self. And that's what materialism does is it feeds self. It feeds our flesh. It's constant. What does my flesh want? Then go get it. What, is, what does my body want? Just go get it. And that's not to say that there isn't a place and a time for all the things that we have on this earth to help us do the work of the Lord. But when it exceeds Jesus's place in our lives, then we have missed the point of what it's supposed to be. James chapter 1 and 17 says it this way, that every good and perfect gift is from above every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from me above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change as believers in the Lord Jesus you and I are supposed to live with the understanding that if God provides for the sparrow if he provides for the lilies of the field if he provides for the grass of the fields all of the things around us then thus you and I have been provided for by the Lord 
all of our provision, everything in our lives, all of our jobs, all of our relationships, everything that equates in our lives, it all comes from the Lord. And as I was working through this, I had to go through my mind and I just began to think about things in my life that I've been blessed with and how I could go back and look at moments where I absolutely, although I generally knew this, but I could go back and look at moments to realize, Lord, everything that I have in my life, it's because of you. There's nothing in my life I've gained by my own measure, by my own means, my own success, none of that. No, everything, Lord, that you've blessed me with in my life, it's because of you. And Jesus has called us to live with that mindset because when you live in a mindset of refuting materialism and living in dependency upon Jesus, it breeds gratefulness. And gratefulness leads to praise and praise leads to worship and it breeds the lifestyle of what Jesus has called us to be. People that were created to live for God's glory and honor him with all of our lives. When we are living in self-sufficiency, I've got it on my own. Oftentimes that leads from a person who wants to be worshiped instead of worshiping God. But God has called us not to worship ourselves, not to lift up ourselves and boast of our own people and who we are. No, Jesus has called us for his glory and his honor. And can I tell you something? Really, it sounds like maybe you're thinking, oh man, Jesus don't want me to have anything nice in my life. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is trying to tell us here through the words to the church is that their materialism led to bondage. Their materialism wrapped them up so much so spiritually that it kept them from doing the work and the purpose that God had called them to live out, to do. And what Jesus is really trying to offer is the irony of it is that refuting this type of thinking and this type of living and materialism and considering our neighbor better than ourselves and doing the works of God really is freedom. Because it frees us from all the grips and the vices that Satan tries to use upon us. And it liberates us to do more for the Lord because we're not bound by all of the materialism of Satan. And Satan would love for you and I to live our lives thinking that I've got to gain more treasures on this earth. And not think a moment about what of eternity meant. But if Jesus said, don't lay up treasures here where moth and rust do corrupt. But lay them up there where moth can't even touch it do that, then that's words you and I ought to take to heart. It's important words for us today. And if Jesus came back a second time to remind the church in Laodicea, it should certainly come once again and say, oh no, Lord, help me. Help me to not have a mind that says, I need nothing. But have the mindset of John 15 that says, Lord, no, apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, Jesus, I can't do a thing for you. That is the attitude Jesus desires in our hearts. And the third thing he calls them for, which brings us back to why we're talking about who's at the door, is he tells them in verse 20, he says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Now, oftentimes we read that verse and of course we're thinking about it through our our 21st century mindset. We're thinking, yeah, somebody's coming at my door. They're knocking on my heart. They're, you know, trying to come in. And if somebody knocks at our doors today, we probably don't even answer because they're trying to sell us something or promote something we surely don't believe in and all of these other reasons. And we've got a little ring doorbell. We can see who they are a mile away before they even got to the door. And we know, nope, I'm not even going to interact with that person. We have all of our reasons, but this went much deeper than that. 
for the church in Laodicea. And really what Jesus was telling them was a word of strong correction. And maybe they would have even thought of as an insult. Because what Jesus said was not that they were only lukewarm. And you'll notice how all of these are connected. They were not only lukewarm, which was in part due to their materialism, but it was also in part due to their inhospitality. They were inhospitable. And you might say, well, what do you mean? I'm going to get in trouble with the Lord because I'm, I'm inhospitable? No, it's deeper than that. Because you remember here that, once again, this isn't a word to an unbeliever. This is a word to the church in Laodicea. And so for the church in Laodicea to hear Jesus say to them, I am standing at your door, knocking at your door. Laodiceans, I'm at your door, knocking. Hello, is anyone there? Knocking, knocking, knocking. And but they would not let him in. And he's just standing at the door, knocking, knocking, knocking. It was an insult because in Jewish hospitality and the, and the customs of this time especially, to leave somebody outside was, a, was the most uh, inhospitable thing you could do because inviting somebody to come in to have a meal was the least sort of hospitality that one would expect of just an acquaintance, let alone somebody that you have a personal relationship with. So it was just, it, it was beyond that. It was the fact that they said, Jesus, you're not even a good relationship anymore. You're, you're not even like an acquaintance. You're at a distance. We're not even letting you in. You're like an intruder at this point. And so when Jesus was left outside, it was a strong rebuke and it was an insult to them that they have thought, here we are, the church. We believe in Jesus. We know he came and died for us and he resurrected. He's coming again. But we've left him outside. What a strong word of, of rebuke to them that their, their self-sufficiency has shut Jesus out. That they had got to a point in their spiritual lives and in their physical lives that they had thought, we don't need even to let anybody in from the outside. It doesn't matter if they're a guest, if they're a friend, if they're Jesus, we've got all that we need here on the inside. So if Jesus wants to come in, it's not really a priority. He can stay outside. And you'll understand once again how their pride, their self-sufficiency was a great danger. That what Jesus was calling them to do next would be incredible. Craig Keener says this about them. Lest anyone misunderstand the tone and motivation of Jesus' rebuke. He makes clear that his purpose is love. Not only does Jesus not reject them, but he wants to come in and have dinner with them, which was the sign once again of a flourishing relationship. And so there Jesus was standing at the door and knocking. And the Bible doesn't say Jesus left. The Bible doesn't say Jesus walked away, that he was still standing at the door knocking. And it was Jesus who on the outside was pleading with the church, no, let me come in. Let me come in and sit at the table with you. I'm not, I'm not rejecting you. I'm not shunning you. I'm not condemning you. I want to come in and sit at your table. I want to come and dwell with you and abide with you and have a place in your lives. And it was once again an invitation that for them to understand that inviting Jesus into their church and inviting Jesus into their spiritual lives changes everything. 
Because when Jesus is sitting at the table, it doesn't matter if even somebody is there who is about to hand him over to be betrayed. He still calls them friend. It doesn't matter if it's even the, the worst of sinners, the Pharisees, all the people that you could possibly think of. No, with Jesus, when he sits at the table with them, it changes everything. Some of the greatest works that Jesus ever did was sitting at a table. It was at the table that a woman came in full of sin in her life, but yet she came in and worshiped Jesus, honored him, and Jesus acknowledged her publicly in front of all of those people. It was at a table that Jesus changed lives and and made water turn into wine and we see the first sign that was intended to lead us to believe and really what Jesus was saying to them all along was that if you'll let me come in and sit at your table you will see the best work that I have to offer you'll see the greatest thing that I have to do when Jesus has a place at the table of our churches all across the world it was a call to them no let Jesus come in. And may we never get to a place where our self-sufficiency shuts Jesus out and says, nope, you can't have a place here. You can't have a time here. But instead, that has the heart that says, no, Jesus, come sit at my table. Come sit at our table. We can't even open this meal up without you leading it, Lord. We can't even begin to do the work that you've called without Jesus having a place. And you'll see here that what Jesus was doing was a call to keep doing greater works through them. That even though they had took a diverted path, they took a detour that was unnecessary. Their, their lukewarmness because of their materialism led to their inhospitality, inhospitableness to Jesus. But yet it was a call once again that you can still take a detour. You can still mess up, but Jesus still is offering a second chance to come and welcome him sit at your table. Isn't that good news for all of the churches in the world? Amen. Let's thank the Lord for that. It's good news that even though we as humans, oftentimes we can, the church can go off of a, a path that maybe we're not supposed to go on and it leads us in a path that Jesus never intended, but yet he's not done with us. And that's what we know about Jesus is with Jesus, there is never a waste. Jesus doesn't spend all of his life and all of his purpose trying to come to the earth, dying on a cross just to give up on us. No. He did it because he knows he loves us. This is the bride of Christ. And if Jesus loves the bride of Christ, you and I ought to love the bride of Christ as well. We ought to embrace the bride of Christ and say, yes, Lord, what do you have? As the musicians come this morning, Jesus leaves the last word of, for them. Who's at the door? And he tells them, I'll come into you and I'll eat with you and you with me. And it's the picture of once again of what Jesus promised that he would do with all of the disciples. Once again, as he was sitting at the Last Supper table with them and he was taking that meal with them, he told them, he said, I won't take of this fruit of the vine again until we are anew in my father's kingdom. And it was a reminder for them that there is still a place prepared for you and I to be with him forevermore. So he tells them, to the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne. And just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You know, sometimes there are some things in our life that have to be conquered. They have to be overcome. 
And there are hurdles in our spiritual lives, lukewarmness, and there are things that come up. There's materialism, there's inhospitableness that comes to Jesus sometimes in our life, and they can be overcome. And Jesus gives them the promise that it can be overcome. And when you do overcome it, and when you do conquer it, I'll give you a place with me on my throne. Isn't it wonderful today to know that Jesus is still inviting us? Come be with me. Come sit with me. Let me come sit in your table. Let me come have a place with you. Let me dwell with you. And to every believer here and to us as a church, oh, may it be a reminder to us today. Let's not stop serving the Lord, working for Jesus. May we always know we need Jesus. And that when we invite Jesus in, he changes everything. He'll uproot our pride. He'll show us what we're missing out on. He'll direct us because he disciplines those whom he loves. And if he didn't love us, he'd never do that in the first place. Will you stand with me this morning? Every eye closed this morning. Can we just agree as a church that we say, Lord, we don't want to miss out on what you have for us. No, Lord, we want to be open to whatever you want to say, Lord. Now and the days to come, Lord. Oh, Jesus, help us to never grow lukewarm in what we do for you, Lord. Let us not have a faith that is without works that's dead, but let us have a faith that is full of works and is alive embracing our neighbors, loving those around us. Lord, help us to not build on self-sufficiency. Lord, I'm nothing apart from you, Jesus. That's what you said. I need you today, Lord. And Lord, may we never, ever, ever, oh Lord, may the us and all of the churches across the globe today, may we never shut you out and say, no, Lord, you can't have a place here. No, we say, Jesus, come in, sit at the table, do the best that you'll do, Lord. Do the signs and wonders that you did on the earth while sitting at the tables with your disciples, Lord. Show us miracles before our eyes as you come in, Lord. God, we know we want to see you do wonders among our eyes. And we know that when you come in and sit at the table, Lord, when Jesus is present, oh, miracles happen. When Jesus is present, wonders happen. Souls are changed. Lives are transformed. And so, Lord, today we invite you come and sit with us today, Jesus. May you abide with us today as we abide in you, Lord. Help us, Lord, today, Jesus, to not turn you away, to not push you away, Lord, but to always live in self-dependency, Lord, or, 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 in dependency upon you, Jesus. And God, we thank you today, Lord. And so, Father, we pray today that we might overcome, that we might conquer. And as later Revelation promises us that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, so, Lord, help us to conquer these things, which have been troubles for churches for thousands of years, Lord, which might even be a trouble for us today, Lord. But help us today to conquer them, Lord, to go forth in the earth and do the work you've called us to do, Lord, to not withhold the love that you've put in us from the world, but to embrace and love and shine brightly in the earth all that you've given us to do, Jesus. Lord, we thank you this morning, and we honor you today, Jesus. 
We bless you today, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord, today. This morning you need prayer. You need the Lord today for something in your life. I want to invite you to come this morning. We'd be happy to pray with you as the choir comes. Anything in your life today, you want to invite Jesus. He's at the door today. Every believer here today, the Lord is at the door. Are we going to let him in? We're going to invite him to come and have a place with us today. Jesus, come this morning. Come, Jesus. Come, oh Lord Jesus. Come, Jesus. This morning you need prayer. Please come today. No, no shame coming to the Lord. All of us here today. We're not depending on ourselves. We're depending on Jesus. As the choir sings, let's pray to the Lord this morning, asking him, come Jesus, come today.